Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to Trinity. And uh, we are continuing in our signs uh, series that's based in the Gospel of John. This morning we're going to be looking from John chapter 9. So if you want to call that up in your device or find that uh, in your Bible, the first uh, opening verses of uh, that chapter is where we'll be this morning. And as you're going, I just want to share with you just a couple of things uh, coming up for us uh, in regards to our worship service. Uh, we wanted to do what we could and, and faithfully respond uh, to what God is doing and what we see Him doing uh, in our midst and our belief in God. Uh, and so one of the things that's going to be happening in our service next week is we're going to have a ministry time. And all that means is we're going to have some people uh, that uh, we're going to post here at the altar. Uh, and as we're singing, I want to invite you uh, to come forward uh, with any kind of prayer request that you have. Um, you can even say unspoken if you'd like, but whatever is happening in your life, if you'd just like somebody to be praying for you and uh, to pray a faithful prayer about the power of God working in your life, we're going to have that opportunity uh, in service next week. So I want to give you kind of a week to think about that and, and prepare for that a bit. And then two weeks from this Sunday on November 7th, is, uh, we're going to have a bit of time uh, where we're going to be able to share uh, what God has been doing. Uh, and some of you, it's kind of a cool thing, but a few people uh, independently have been, you know, kind of requesting this time. So I hope you're some of the first that will share uh, of what God is doing, you know, like in this season or in your connect group and, you know, the way that you see uh, God working, uh, you know, uh, in some of the ways as he worked in the Gospel of John. So that'll be two weeks from now, just an opportunity to give you all the mic uh, and to share and encourage each other uh, in what God uh, is doing. Uh, and so if you're there at John uh, chapter 9, I want to begin with this. One of our founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, uh, had a profound esteem for the teachings of Jesus, but also became a great child of the Enlightenment. Uh, when Jefferson was 16, it was his first year of college at William and Mary, and he had a professor that was named William Small. And uh, William Small uh, was inter uh, uh, introduced him to British imperialist John Locke uh, and his enlightened brethren who enthroned reason and logic, really, as their Lord. Uh, and so, so important, you know, re reason and logic uh, uh, to their life. And so what ended up leading to is actually in February 1804, Thomas Jefferson took scissors to his Bible. Maybe you know this. He kept the teachings of Jesus but was, and was fond of the words of Jesus. But he took out the virgin birth, the resurrection, and the 34 distinct miracles outlined uh, in the Bible. Uh, as an example, the man with the withered hand that was healed on the Sabbath, Jefferson kept the teaching on the Sabbath, but he cut out... Uh, that healing. Uh, in fact, you know, I, as a result, each gospel, after Thomas Jefferson was done with it, each gospel ends with Jesus dying on the cross and being placed in the grave, uh, but no stone uh, rolled away. I really appreciate the worship we were able to experience this morning, a lot about the power of God and God's work in our lives. And I sure hope that you're not in a place maybe where you have not taken scissors to your Bible, 
but maybe at times you've struggled with the power of God. Maybe it's a season that you've gone through or a season of unanswered prayer or, you know, difficulty. And I pray that this series, as we've looked at these miracles, uh, that there are some things that we have really learned again, you know, about God and his power, his miracle working power and ability in our life. And then too, we see how important it is, haven't we, in each one of the miracles that God works with our faith. You know, when, when he does a miracle on our behalf, he doesn't do it kind of, you know, apart from us, you know. And so we're even going to see more in our story today that, that God often asks for a step of faith, you know, something done uh, that, you know, triggers uh, a miracle. We saw, you know, right from the very beginning, if you remember the obedience of the servants who worked with him, right, who didn't say, like, you can't turn water into wine, but the, the servants worked with him and he did it. We have the official son, you know, where Jesus says, your son will be healed, and the official son believed him, and he walked back to his home and then is told, like, that's the moment, right? I mean, we saw all in each one of these, you know, whether disciples and feeding the 5,000, Jesus works with the faith that we bring them. Uh, it's so important that we, you know, continue to embrace, uh, you know, cultivate that heart for the power of God to work in our life. And let me give you a couple of scriptures in this way. Second Timothy 3, 5 says that, that these people had a form of godliness, but were denying its power. And that's so important that we embrace, you know, the power of God in our lives. First Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, uh, but of power. Um, John 14.12 says, very truly I tell you, all who have faith in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. I mean, we would probably think that was a heresy if it wasn't Jesus' own words, you know, like, like Jesus says, you think this stuff is amazing. Wait till you see what the Father wants to do and what he's going to do in the future, right? Jesus opens the door to say, you know, allow God to work powerfully uh, in your life. There was a Christian uh, author and pastor of the 1900s, A.W. Tozer, from the CMA Church. And he says that, you know, if, if we have a tendency to create a God who never surprises us and never astounds us and never overwhelms us, that we've created a God that does not transcend us. So it's so important that we look to God and we say, God, I understand that I don't understand everything about you, but I want to put my life in your hands and allow you to work. God, would you just, you know, I, I, I want you to do even the amazing in my life. Uh, I, I want to see you work uh, desperately in my life. In fact, if I can, and then we'll get to the scripture, I promise. Uh, what I wanted to do is instead of Thomas Jefferson, you know, cutting miracles out of our Bible, kind of for me, as we've been taking the look at all these miracles over the weeks, um, I came out with this little statement of faith <laughs> that, uh, you know, just some of the things that I'm putting together and, and learning about God in this series, and, and maybe you've experienced some of the same. I said the God of the Bible is omnipotent and omniscient, meaning all-powerful and all-knowing. I believe in a God who can do immeasurably more than I could ask or imagine. I believe in a God whose thoughts are higher than my thoughts and whose ways are higher than my ways. 
I believe in a God whose love I cannot possibly comprehend, whose mercy I do not deserve, and whose power I cannot control. I believe in a God who made the laws of nature and can break them anytime he wants. I believe in a God who can make the sun stand still and who can part rivers and who created all things in the beginning by this small phrase, let there be light. I believe in a God who is who he says he is and a God who can do what he says he can do. I believe in a God whom I want to see miracles in my life and in yours. Um, I hope that maybe some of this looking at the miracles of Jesus, that some of that has welled up in you too, that it has built up your faith uh, and belief in the possibility of what God can do in our lives. Okay, great. Let's turn to the scripture, Sally. You are there at John uh, chapter 9. So we're going to begin with the first few verses. It says, as he went along, he saw a man born, uh, a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God may be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. <laughs> Now, you know, these are the first four verses of John chapter 9. You might be thinking, wow, I, I don't think I quite got Jesus' train of thought, so we're going to work on that this morning, why it is he put all of these things together. But let's break down this verse just a little bit, shall we? This is the next sign that we're looking at, you know, um, is this man born blind? And then we'll look at Lazarus, uh, his raising of Lazarus next week. Um, but this is the next one in the Gospel of John. And so they come across this man who's been born blind. Now, what we don't have um, is necessarily how they found out that he was born blind, that he's been blind for that long. Now, later on in the scripture, we see that he was one who was a beggar, and that was kind of how his neighbors knew him. So it's quite possible he is one that's set by a gate or something who's often begging and the people, you know, become familiar with him. That as they go into a place of worship, he's one of the beggars who is blind, who is there just, you know, out of the, looking for the mercy of the people just to survive. Now the disciples come along and say, well, Jesus, can you tell us who is it that sinned here? Was that his, him or his parents that he was born blind? So that is part of the thinking that was back in Jesus' day, that when, some, when a baby was born blind, deaf, or something else, that there must have been some sin uh, that was even associated with the womb, um, that they would be born this way. Uh, and so that's kind of how they treat it. Actually, uh, in Hebrew, there was actually this kind of time or ceremony that you'd spend with the priest called the Marah, uh, M-A-R-A-H, is what it's translated, transliterated to. The Mamara was a time that you could spend with the priest where you could confess sins that you thought were maybe during the baby in the womb or a little bit before, you know, to maybe, you know, would cause a healing in the child. 
I mean, that's how serious they were that they felt like it was the parents' sin that made him this way. The other thing is, is you know how you have the scripture where, you know, God knows us even in our womb. I never thought of it this way. I always thought of that very precious, right? That, that God was, you know, one molding and shaping us in the womb. But the other kind of way of taking it for them uh, in the Jewish faith was that actually the child had done something in the womb. And so the parents would try to confess those things as well if they could think of them, you know, in this time. Because you can imagine, right? I mean, if you're young parents and you have a child who's blind, deaf, something else, that, that you, you'd want to come. And if there was a chance for them to be healed, you know, that you would participate in whatever that might be, um, that, you know, they, they might, be, might be healed. And so that, that's how strong the thought was here. So the disciples are not being cruel or mean in any kind of way, but they're just kind of making an observation. But I hope that you heard the words of Jesus in the response, where he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, isn't that good? <laughs> you know, so the same person who is born blind, the disciples have this perspective that, wow, this guy did something. His parents did something, you know. But Jesus has a totally different perspective. Jesus looks upon him and he goes, you know, the reason he was born this way was for this moment, that his life is about to be a display for the glory of God. Now, isn't that good? You know, isn't that really helpful? That Jesus says, let's look at this situation, let's look at this person a different way, that all of it's been leading to this moment, that him is this well-known beggar known as a blind man from birth by so many, he's about to be known for something very, very different. Now, I think there's a couple of really good applications that kind of come out of this text. Because what Jesus is doing is he is sharing a very grace-filled, loving response to this person seeing far beyond his perceived sin, his parents' sin, or his blindness, to seeing this man as one who will be displaying the glory of God. Now, I think that's really, really important. I think what Jesus would really love, I think for us, is what if we would make sure that we were looking on people and maybe we, we were perceiving someone whom we come across with. Maybe it's in the church foyer, maybe it's some other place, or even at work. But what if we were able to look upon someone and not think about, oh, wow, I wonder what sin they're involved in, you know. <laughs> I wonder what they did to get themselves to that place. But that rather we would have these lenses where we would be able to say, wow, wouldn't it be awesome to see God's glory displayed in this person, right? Isn't that the grace and the potential? I think that God wants us to look upon people 
you know? I mean, I think this is a, one of the best ways that we can, you know, interact with people and, and, you know, think of them as people that, you know, God gets a hold of them, that they would be these incredible displays of his glory. You think about it like even in the church, right? What if that was the way that we looked upon each other and, and we treated one another was for the potential that we had to be displays of God's glory, as God worked in our lives, right? I mean, that would just, you know, we could just extend that kind of grace to each other. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that we dismiss sin and we, and we minimize sin, but I'm, I'm just saying, like, wouldn't it be good to make sure that we just keep on looking on each other for the potential of what God wants to do in their lives, right? And that that's how we would, we would treat people, not for, you know, the sin we thought they struggled with or, you know, <laughs> other things, but rather we would look on people with that grace and love to say, you know, they have a wonderful opportunity to be a display of God's glory. I have one more application for us, too. One more. And that is this, that I hope that you see personally what Jesus is saying here. What I mean by that is, I want you to know something. That you are so much more than the sins of your past. You are so much more to God than the sin that you're struggling with right now. But that what God sees in you is that your life is an opportunity to display God's glory. You see, sometimes I think we give sin way too much credit. <laughs> we give the devil way too much ground. God has desired for us to live in victory over sin. And he doesn't look upon us and see the sins that we've committed and the sins that we're struggling with, but he sees us as an opportunity to display God's glory. And like I said, it doesn't mean that we dismiss sin in our lives, and it doesn't mean that we're, you know, we, we don't take it seriously. But I want you to know that God wants you to experience victory over a struggle you might have right now. God wants your life to be this wonderful display of his glory. In fact, I would say it this way, is that you might at times feel like your life is a lot about the sin that you struggle with. But what Jesus is saying here is, is that, no, actually what your life is about is about your story. It's about your story. What I mean by that is that he continues on, um, and he says, as long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me, because night is coming when no one can work. You know, what Jesus is about to say is that, you know, what I want to show you is that I am light and I'm about to shine into this guy's life. And this is his story. Like this turnaround and him displaying the glory of God is the story that this man has. He has one story as a blind beggar, but God has a brand new part to his story where the light is going to come in and he has this new life to live as one who can see, and that God is wanting to see that happen all over the place. 
And Jesus says, because we've actually only got a season for that to take place, that there is a judgment that's coming. Jesus says, I know that there's a point that I will return, and we won't have that time any longer for people to make that change for their life, not to be about their sin, but for God's glory to be displayed in their life. God wants to make sure that our life is not about the sin we struggle with, but it's about our story of God working His grace in our life. You know, in 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And Isaiah 1, 18 says, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they should be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will shall be like wool. Psalm 51, 2, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Finally, Leviticus 13.30, for it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you, and you will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. The Lord has given us the way of confessing and repenting of our sin that we might become a display of God's glory for all to see. That was his design for us. And that's how he's looking upon this man who is begging. And so secondly, let there be light. So we actually get to watch this now. Verse 5 says, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with a saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Salam a word that means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Amazing. You know, a man who was born blind. So being born blind was probably uh, the worst of all the blind situations, right? If there was some kind of accident or something happened later on in life and somebody became blind, it was never seen as worse than if you were going to be born blind. But here Jesus makes this beautiful proclamation that we remember if we looked at the very beginning um, here in John 1, Jesus says, I am the light of the while." I am in the world. I am the light of the world. And so Jesus says, there is this light that has come that is now going to shine out and is going to dissipate blindness and confusion and darkness. And so Jesus picks up some of the dirt from the ground. I don't want you to contemplate this too much, but if you had... <laughs> some dust that was in your hand, you can imagine that, you know, it's not just one little that's going to make it mud, right? <laughs> I mean, Jesus had to produce quite a bit of spit uh, in order to make it mud, you know? So this must have been quite a scene, right? Now, you might be thinking, before you're totally grossed out, I want to share with you this. Uh, saliva was thought to have healing qualities. So it actually would not have grossed out those that were, you know, in the circle in the moment. But they would have thought, oh, I want to see how this works, you know. 
And so he does, he, you know, he ends up making this dry ground mud in his hand. And then he places the mud on the man's eyes. And even for a moment, if we think like, oh, that, oh this is awful, right? But really, can it get any worse for the blind guy, right? <laughs> I mean, what's a little dirt? He might as well give it a shot, you know? He's with Jesus, and he's heard what Jesus has been able to do. And so Jesus takes the mud and he, you know, pats it onto his eyes. But what's so interesting here is that, actually, they, they just recently discovered this pool. I don't know if you know that. But in the fall of 2004, they were actually doing some uh, ditch and drainage work, and they came upon this very pool. And so now it is a site that actually in a couple years you'll be able to go see in Israel. Because once they had stumbled upon it, they were like, oh, wait a minute, I think this is, and it was, you know, this pool of Salaam. So, so they actually found it. So isn't it cool that you can actually go there and visit these places, you know, right, right where Jesus is telling them to go? Now, scholars differ a little bit, but what we did know is that it wasn't like Jesus put the mud in his eyes and then said, ah, oh, walk over here about 10 feet. But the journey for this man was anywhere from a half mile to a mile and a half to get to this pool. Not an easy thing. Not an easy thing for someone who is blind. Not an easy thing for someone who has mud on their eyes. But here's the thing. It's a journey that he took, right? He didn't say, oh, that's going to be too far, Jesus. I'm just going to get this out, right? But he thought, I have a chance. And that's what I'm saying, that Jesus, he works with us, works with our faith as much as we can muster to do the amazing in our lives. And so he goes, and he makes this journey, probably feeling his way all the way, you know, having to ask for directions and such. But then eventually, it was a pool that just had like three steps into it. Um, it was about 20 feet by 40 feet. Uh, and so the man goes down. And so the access was actually very simple but it was quite a journey to get there. And what we know is he got there and he took the water and he washed it away. And as you can imagine, as the mud now is going away from his eyes and he's starting to open them, can you imagine that moment that he sees for the first time? Amazing, powerful, but he does it. And so then he goes to this pool which is called Salam, which means sent. He washed, and he came home seeing. Now, I think it's very interesting, isn't it, that Jesus wants to make this note, John wants to make this note, that the man went home with sight. What was that like? <laughs> I mean, that morning, right, he's, he's at home, and he kind of gets ready, and he heads over to the temple where he has opportunity to beg, as he's done for years and years and years. And it's come home every day, still blind, maybe with just a few coins. But this time, he comes home seeing. And then point number three in your notes, I put down, we are walking testimonies. Because this is really important. Verse 8 says, His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him beg and asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he... Um, some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. 
but he himself insisted. And so he told his story. I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salaam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. So this man, who in the first verses we're perceiving and we're looking and we're wondering, what is his sin exactly that he's in this state? That now we see that he is a man with a story. That I'm the one you always saw begging. But then this man, Jesus, he came and he put mud in my eyes and told me to go wash. And so I did. And now I can see. This is his story. This is how this man will be known as now. I pray that you have a story and that you're willing to share it. You know, I used to do like so many, I, one of my things in my umbrella was, was evangelism. And so I tried a number of different ways of, you know, doing three or four different kinds of evangelism training. And, you know, like, like why we believe what we believe, right? Ten reasons why, um, the, you know, Jesus rose from the dead. And, you know, like all these things, you know, come up with all of these arguments. And in fact, and if you want some of that, I can surely give it to you. But I want to tell you something. When I'm sharing my faith with somebody, there's nothing I've found more powerful than my story. Than me being able to share with them that there was a moment when I was 18 and I was really lost. And I was really confused. And I asked Jesus to be the leader of my life. <laughs> I remember my prayer was quite simple. It was, God, if this is my life in my hands, this is a complete mess. So I might as well just take my life and put it in your hands, you know. And I want to tell you that while we can have all the great arguments and we can have all of the reasons for you know, why we believe what we believe. I want you to know there's nothing more powerful than your story. And so I'd encourage you, if you haven't, like, visited recently to write it out. I used to encourage people just to say, like, what was my life like before Christ? What was the moment like when I met him? And what's my life like been since? And I will tell you that when I share my story with people of the work that God's done in my life, it's actually very hard to argue against. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be like mean or put it in their face, but it's very hard for somebody to say, no, that didn't happen to you, right? <laughs> You've seen that God time and time again loves to use our story about when we met him and he came into our life. The other thing I want to come back to some of the verses just before. Remember where Jesus said that we have to do this work because we don't have long. This is what we know. We read in the Bible is that we have this moment in time because God is being patient. He wants people to receive the gospel. He's being patient so that none would perish. But I want to tell you, 
that he's not called us to be patient. <laughs> but with our story and the gospel message, I think he wants us to be urgent. I want to ask you, is there an urgency to your life for people to know him, for you to share your story, and for people to experience his love and grace in their life? I want to encourage you to increase your urgency, the importance, because we don't know how long we have. But let's be faithful and share our stories that God might not only transform our lives, but others around us. That's this blind man. That's his story. He says, I am the guy that was begging, but not anymore this man, Jesus, put mud on my eyes, and now I can see. Let's pray together. Well, Heavenly Father, we just come to you in this moment, God. And we thank you for the scripture and we thank you for the series and powerfully get to continually see over and over again how you've touched and moved in these people's lives, Lord. We think of this beggar who was born blind. We don't know, but we know it's been a long time that he has sat in that place and he has asked people for help and for money, probably calling out, I am blind. And, and God, that was who he was. That was his story. But you were not finished with him yet because you wanted his life to be touched and to be changed that he might instead display your glory. And now he is one who walks with sight and who says, Jesus touched and changed my life. God, just ask right now if there's any one of us who has some sin that they're just dealing with in their life and maybe it's quite private, but maybe it's a, a very heavy struggle. Oh God, I pray that they in this moment would be real with you God, it's really funny the things that we sometimes think we're hiding from you when you're a God who sees it all. So might we just acknowledge this, Lord, for we desire that our lives not be about the sin that we've done, the sin that we struggle with, but rather a story about your grace, that we might be someone who displays your glory. God, in all these things, we give you thanks. For God, you're never finished with us. You're the God of second, third, a thousand chances. If we will just come to you. Thank you, Lord, for your power and the power to live this life that you offer to each and every one of us. Lord, give us those chances to share our story of your wonderful grace and love at work in our lives. In Jesus' precious name, we